Welcome back to Stage Left with me, Jen Harvey. My guest this episode is the Reverend Billy, also known as Bill Talon. Billy is an American activist artist and quasi-gospel evangelist, complete with white suit, dog collar, cowboy boots, and a voice that shakes the rafters. He's been based in New York since the 1990s, where he formed the secular political Church of Stop Shopping. And with his Stop Shopping Choir, Billy holds services of protest in theaters, shops, banks, and on the streets. They campaign against corporate greed, ecological injustice, and rampant consumerism. Or as Billy names it, the shopocalypse, or maybe the shopocalypse. I got to meet Reverend Billy in London near the end of his whistle-stop tour across England with the Trump Depression Hotline. On the night we met, Billy and his choir had made a performative protest against BP sponsorship at the British Museum during the day and just finished a show at Arts Admin's Toynbee Studios. We're here at the Toynbee Studios after the show of the Trump Depression Hotline Tour, which you've been taking around England. Ursaluya. And you're off to Norwich tonight for another show, and then going to Zurich, I believe. Yes. It's an ambitious tour. I wanted to ask, what is the Trump Depression Hotline Tour? Because it's a fabulous title. Well, Trump is a, uh, a symbol, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a symbol of something that's happening in all of our countries, the rise of white supremacy, the uh, takeover of the commons by the wealthy, corporations running the government. You know, there are lots of ways to put it, but I think that we all recognize what I'm saying. So we are uh, a lot of us who have devoted our lives to uh, a compassionate approach to our communities. We're bummed out. Yeah. So I just wanted to be to appeal to that and get it out there. And Trump's been in office a year. Brexit's already old. You know, we're already down the road a piece with the rise of China and Putin and all of it. Yeah. Poland, Hungary, Turkey, Israel, all of it. It's just happening everywhere. Uh, and we haven't really made a serious counter move. Um, I think here in England, momentum, Jeremy Corbyn, yep. is one of the most encouraging things. It is encouraging. We don't quite have the equivalent of it. I mean, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, we have reasons to be encouraged when we're able to be, but uh, we have obstacles that are unique to the United States, certainly. Yeah. And your work is, is inspiring, so there are reasons to be encouraged by the kind of work that you do. You. And I know that part of what you wanted to do on your tour is also visit other activists. Um, yes. So can you tell me a bit, us a bit about some of the highlights of your tour? We designed it so that we would have a wheels up at midnight. <laughs> so whatever partying you're doing after the show, uh, which I hope to do directly after this interview. Very good. Uh, <laughs> the bus is waiting and the bus goes and we sleep in coffin-like bunk beds. <laughs> and then we wake up at dawn and we're in a new town. Yeah. And so we've been bouncing around the island Birmingham, Liverpool, Newcastle, Bristol, and so forth. And there, we're always in a new town, and we meet in the daytime with activists of that community. Sometimes it's a parade. There was a quilting bee. It's an American phrase yeah. in of migrant activists in Brighton. So we uh, sang to them while they made a quilt, 
you know, it took many forms, but uh, people called activists out ahead and the activists said, come to us. And we've had a, a wonderful 10 days meeting the activists of Britain. And your strategies are both public activism in places like the British Museum today, so the Commons, mm -hmm. and then also theatre shows in venues like Toynbee Hall. So you clearly are trying to do at least two different things in terms of practices mm -hmm. and also addressing different kinds of audiences. Can you tell me a bit more about what the strategic thinking is behind those kinds of combinations? We've been doing this for 17 years, and we've kind of evolved into a relationship between the two parts of our of our approach. What happens on the concert stage is determined by the activism. The things that come to us that are mysteries that we have to solve take place when we're singing and preaching in a Monsanto laboratory or in the lobby of a bank that finances climate change or the British Museum at a BP exhibit. Uh, that is the source. And then we discuss things after that kind of experience where we're risking arrest together as a community and that becomes the songs that becomes my messages that, that becomes the the secular prayers the earth prayers mm -hmm. so it, it it starts with the activism all right we got to do this now everyone lose your coat if you're going to lose it we're going ready we feel from the presence of the Scythian warriors of ancient Siberia. We feel from this exhibit sorrow, fear. We feel courage and clarity because this exhibit is sponsored by British Petroleum. BP is, by emitting CO2 and methane into the atmosphere, BP is causing the melting of the permafrost. And so this very exhibit may be the last of its kind because the Scythian warriors and their weapons and their jewelry and their gold is frozen and preserved in the permafrost. But now, with the climate change, with the melting, this is being destroyed and the archaeologists want us to hurry up and accelerate their dig so that they can get the entire civilization unearthed and before us in our museums. How could BP ruining their effort? How could they be meeting with the Russians, meeting with British Museum, meeting with the British government? How could BP be the sponsor of the very thing that it's destroying? This is an emergency. Something about all this advertising has made it impossible for us to respond in a realistic way. Stop supporting the death of the earth. Know it when you see it. BP is ruining the Scythian warriors. And here they are pretending they're presenting them. Let us change. Somebody give me an earth hallelujah here today. Change hallelujah. 
collaboration is also clearly important. So, for example, the influence of the choir. The choir is a collaboration in the first place, mm -hmm. the Church of Stop Shopping Choir. You collaborate importantly with your musical director, Neremaya, with Savitri as the director, and also with local communities, and also with the earth. I think that comes across really clearly, that you're, you're encouraging us to remember that we're collaborating with the earth. In terms of thinking about performance making, I'm interested in asking you how collaboration is so important to your work. Well, uh, you know, John Berger used to write brilliantly about walls and borders. And he passed away just as Trump was coming into power. That was symbolic, wasn't it? <laughs> I remember one of his books, Hold Everything Dear. It's the name of one of his books. It has a wonderful chapter about walls. If we're open to each other, then we become carriers of the power of the natural world. We're made of the earth, and if the quicksilvery intuition that we have in us is shared, an altogether different kind of art is produced than the lonely hero. You know, I say that with the caveat that I love stuff that comes. I just finished a book, The Song of the Lark by Willa Cather, and I don't think that Willa Cather, she wrote alone. You know, she was a writer by herself. Uh, so good works can come from many sources. Yeah, but good work also comes for you from collaborating and from thinking yes. about that quicks of a relationship with the earth. Yes. Right. And you're also always motivated to work against sexism, racism in the long history of your career. And I noticed that, you, well, you're partly funded by Arts Council England, for your tour, and part of the emphasis of that funding and your work on this tour has been to increase access, I think especially disability access. Um, only one of our destinations in the, in the series of performances didn't have access for people with disabilities of any kind. Mm -hmm. And we ha we've had uh, several shows. We had signers, didn't have a signer tonight, uh, but tried to get volunteers. We didn't have the money for that, but we tried to get volunteer signers when we came to a town. That's basic compassion. And it has uh, been an education for us because it was not our first issue. We had a, mm. a blind lady who would come up on stage and sing with us with her dog. <laughs> <laughs> and the dog didn't sing, which is disciplined. <laughs> Big German shepherd up there, not barking, <laughs> wow. not howling at the moon. But uh, this is the education that we went through working with Catherine Turner and uh, Anthony Roberts from the Colchester Arts Center. Mm -hmm. Catherine cannot see, and she's in a wheelchair. She's paralyzed. And she has come to all the shows, except the one where she waited downstairs in a pub. Right. And even in that show, our, our saint, we didn't have a saint tonight. We usually have a fabulous saint. But the, uh, the saint at Brighton was a man who transports himself via a wheelchair. And his name is Jacob Berkson, St. Jacob. Ursula. He's a migrant, migrant activist, helping people that are under attack by the British system of immigration. Mm. In our base section, the man that looks like Walt Whitman, except he's iridescing, he's, his beard is all these different colors. Yeah. Um, Donald Gallagher is his name. He's one of the drag queens who was at Stonewall Inn that night and threw his pumps at the cops. 
<laughs> so we have we have gay royalty in the bass section. We do, yeah. <laughs> you have speaking of access when you sing mm-hmm. that's what is that heightened language with melody and beat mm-hmm. and it brings up melodies that we have experienced in our past you know with Schubert you know with James Brown with the Beatles we have many things that rise to meet a wonderful song so we we walk through a lot of doors singing and sometimes they're doors you know at a, a corporation that is hurting people like Walmart or something, or Westfield Mall or something in Shepherd's Bush. My God, we got beat up there. It seemed like the, every, the security at Westfield's a few years ago now, it seemed like they were rugby players that didn't make the team or something. They would run towards us from like 100 yards away. We're not in that rugby game, please. <laughs> the singing is, I think it's just symbolic of, of the kind of thing that we have to do now. We have to invent magics that take us through walls. Reverend persona, Reverend Billy, who evokes other reverends like Reverend Billy Graham, for example, and a whole televangelist history. He's very charismatic, Reverend Billy, and riveting and persuasive. It takes a minute, though, to, to adjust. It right? does, and he, you know, and he has baggage as well because of connections. So I don't know if you feel like that. The Reverend Billys of the world are right-wing apocalyptic Christians, and they're sexists, they're warmongers. The evangelists kneel and pray with Donald Trump, who never prayed a day in his life. So uh, I have to work that out, you know, myself. I, I come from that world, you know, and I was, I was beat up by uh, my uncles in Holland, Michigan, as a kid. And, uh, because you, just in general? Oh, or because, because I, was, were... uh, I was a peacenik. Okay, <laughs> I was yeah. already, I was wandering off the, off the territory there. And uh, they were from World War II. They were the great generation, and they, they were upset. And I was the eldest of the children of these, that generation of sons and daughters. I was supposed to go into whatever the family business or whatever I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do it for them. So I, I wear that, that costume, big hair, collar, white polyester suit, and pointy... Beetle boots, white, bright white, all white. Uh, I wear that costume to appropriate the iconic character of hate in the United States. And of course, all over the world. Those guys are everywhere. You know, when, when the Berlin Wall came down, they were in Russia, going door to door, saving souls. I mean, they, they are unassailable. They're just the walking dead. You know, you have to... You have to I was going to say take out a cross, but that's their symbol. But then I have to work that out. I, I still have hate. I still have fear. I'm afraid. That's my abuse. Uh, and we all have abuse. And, you know, I was speaking tonight in my sermon about breaking through that abuse with love. 
We're full of the thing that makes life. We've got love in us. And we can go from the center out to the edge of the hate and out to the edge of the products. And we can come back to the center. And we'll have free passage. We'll find a way to do it because of this love that we have inside of us, this, this trust we have inside of us, this song we have inside of us. We can go right through Donald Trump's wall. of strangers who are afraid of us because of what we wear, because of our skin color, because of who we represent in their minds, we can go right there. And we won't be shot and killed. We will engage them in stories and their love, the natural world they have in them, will be engaged with us. And we will start making the good storm, the good storm. We're going to make a good storm now. We're going to make a super storm. You've repeated the word love several times just talking now, and it's, you repeat it in the show, and I've been reading your latest book about the earth, and love is the word that comes across to me most strongly, actually. And I think that's another word that needs to be handled carefully because it also potentially carries so much baggage in terms of trying to be appropriated by things like Disney and Hollywood. Oh and I'm persuaded by the way that you use it, and I really appreciate how high its profile is in your, in your work. How did you find that that was the, the important thing to tap and try to communicate about? Well, first of all, you're right. I mean, the, the forces of the monoculture <laughs> of fundamentalism, they want to claim, and they always have, our spiritual lives. And so reclaiming our spiritual lives is, is something that is a part of our project. After, after 9-11, we found that large numbers of people were coming to our church services and uh, it turned out that in New York, all the sophisticated agnostics that we are, it turns out that we're all kind of patching together DIY spiritual lives on the sly, made out of uh, relationships and the natural world and the arts and intimacy and we're, uh, experiences, dreams. And we're taking great care because we've been burned by the patriarch. We've all been burned by the system of the patriarch. So we have gone through a process of, of appreciating uh, what ordinary people do to manifest the, their respect for life. We all do it. We all find a way. And as a political person, to defend ourselves against the fundamentalist, whether it's a corporation or a religion or a business or an army, government, whatever, whatever that fundamentalism institutionally whatever form it takes, it really doesn't want you to do that on your own. It doesn't want you to do it with your neighbor. It doesn't want you to have your own love affair. It doesn't want to have your own community, have your own language, have your own understanding about what's going on in the world. And, and they are run by patriarchs. It's the Old Testament, angry, adolescent, desert God. It's very distinct, and it's been the bane of our existence. Those three desert gods have held us hostage for centuries. They, they're constantly making us hate each other. And they're almost identical. <laughs> and you propose a different 
love, which is like you've just described, based on personal relationships, local relationships, trust, trust, creativity, going through the walls, right? Yeah, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the ways you do things differently is you're against shopping and you work on a barter system or gift, gift giving gift economy. And one of the things I'm interested in. Um, and thinking about how artists make work are the conditions of production. So how we fund work, where we make it, mm-hmm. what the resources are, and then wh- how those resources influence what it is that artists can make. How else do your resources and the conditions that you make work in influence your work, would you say? Well, we find that if exchanges are given, uh, that a whole other set of feelings rises up. Mm. So we're suspicious of the exchange that involves currency, advertising, you know, those, yeah. that whole set of things first. And with the laws that protect those procedures in a consumer economy, we like the complexity, the messiness, the quicksilvery, intuitive things that happen in us. Uh, farmer's markets are amazing conversations taking place, yeah. flirting, music, you know, it's just more interesting, my God. <laughs> Um, Billy has been working in New York for over 20 years now and the conditions that you've experienced that we've all experienced have changed radically or stayed the same in awful ways in that time but different mayors in New York, different presidents different disasters have happened the Black Lives Matter movement has risen up and you've had a child in the time that you've been working Mm -hmm. there what's most important in the way that you've changed? If I was to compare personally the, uh, the impact of you know, the scores of arrests, <laughs> two of them with Black Lives Matter, uh, but many arrests in, in Grand Central Station, Times Square, and virtually all of the famous Landmarks commons and, areas, yeah. right. <laughs> Union Square, Washington Square. Like, and something like 70 arrests or more? Well, you know, sometimes I, I just get detained in the precinct house. Right. And the arrest is changed at the last minute. Sometimes they're just scaring me. Yeah. You know, it, but you've been takes, detained dozens and dozens <laughs> of times. all sorts of forms. The education that I've had personally from risking arrest in this community, in this choir, if I put all of that up against having this one amazing daughter, Lena, with Savitri, the bursting forth of this buzz bomb of a child is definitely <laughs> the, takes the cake, you know. But, the, but they're now, they're, now they're together, and you really can't set them up as opposites. She's, she grew up in the first days of her life, swinging back and forth on slings, you know, on, on the breasts of sopranos, you know, in, in the middle <laughs> in of the gospel choir. songs. Yeah. She'd wake up and there she would be. <laughs> There'd be a crowd out there cheering, you know. So uh, she's been to Europe now. She's seven years old. She's been to Europe 11 times. Wow. So, uh, so there's a balance of what you're describing <laughs> as oppression and love. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for Lena. <laughs> Thank God for Lena. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and what, what's next for you, Billy? Well, we are letting ourselves not dictate what's next. That's, that's the nextness. Uh, next year, we have a clear schedule. Uh, and so what we do with that is a mystery to us right now. If we go out and do something that's very different for us, when we were singing in the hollowed-out mountains in Appalachia that have been exploded, mountaintop removal, coal mining, that was very different for us. When we opened for Neil Young in his anti-Monsanto tour, 
that was really, really different being in those big arenas. Um, so we, we periodically go out and do something that is an opportunity that comes to us. We say yes, and we go out and do that. And then we'll come back, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend a year in that balance of actions in contested spaces, in lobbies and privatized parks and so forth, and then make songs out of those actions and then bring those songs to the concert stage and get, kind of get that engine. That's, our, that's what we've discovered is, is what's best for us and what people expect and, and appreciate from us. Now we've done that for a while and now we're, we're coming into next year and I think, I think something very different might happen. Well, whatever is next, good luck with it, Billy. And thank you so much for taking the time at the end of a very long day to speak with me. Can I ask one thing? Yeah. As um, someone who's, who's kind of new to activism, what advice you would give someone like me? You know, now I've seen your show and I saw your action today at the British Museum. How can I take that forward? What else can I do? You know, if I was a performer... What could I do? How could I, once you've left the country and you've gone, how can I take that on? <laughs> you know, each of us has our own laws, our own weather systems inside of ourselves that in our hearts, in our memories, we have skills. Almost all of us have a way that we can represent that to people around us. And that's a performance. Don't let the, the dominating presence of the art form, don't let that spook you. People are creating uh, very uh, unprecedented kinds of activism now, partly because we have such an emergency, such a life and death emergency right now that we face with the abuse of the earth, uh, with the abuse of people, Social justice and earth justice are so necessary, and then people are starting to find that in that not-to-be-repeated thing that each of us is. Did I get kind of lost in my pronouns there? Uh, <laughs> in our own specialness. <laughs> in something. our own specialness. Because activism became and has been for many years not fetching, not alluring, it's been the march and the rally, the march and the rally, the march and the rally. And sometimes the march and the rally, you know, the women's march, I'm thinking, or the, or the peace march on February 15th in 2003. Yeah. Remember that? Millions yes. of us before the war in Iraq. I mean, you can, you can cite examples when that was just exactly what had to happen. Uh, but as far as the day in and day out, you know, as far as what has to go forward when we're between world dramas, uh, the dailiness of our activism is, is best met by our uniqueness right now. Somebody grows a certain kind of plant. Somebody has a, a particular kind of poetry. Somebody has a, a, a kind of healing. If somebody grows that and then faces the world with it, you can go in the direction of making it a product in order to, to maximize your income, or you can go into a gift economy and get enough and share enough, and in that sharing, have what you're giving to the world go into the world in a much different way. Products are products. Products are, are very similar to each other, no matter what they are. I see that series of selling steps coming toward me, 
and I think other people share this, you just recognize it right away and you, you know it's a product. And then by the time it gets to you, it almost doesn't matter what it is. It's, 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 out, it's out for your, you know, your credit card. So I believe that activism is, is in each and every one of us. And then when that activism surfaces, don't let it be corrupted. That's a beautiful place to end. I won't make my produ let my producer get another question in. Thank you again so much, Billy. <laughs> If you've been inspired by what you've just heard about the work of Rev and Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping, visit their website, revbilly.com. My thanks again to Rev and Billy and also to Friends at Arts Admin for your hospitality, sound engineer Gail Gordon, Queen Mary University of London for support, and my producer, Debbie Kilbride. And thanks to you for listening. Change-a-lu-ya.